Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Sometimes in ministry, we can experience disappointment, discouragement, and doubts. The results of our best efforts can sometimes feel like failure. And unfortunately, it's all too easy for us to allow fear to cause us to stop short the work that God is accomplishing in and through our struggle. Well, this morning, we're going to examine the claim by the missionary and apostle Paul from the book of Philippians, where he explains to the church that his trials and chains, though they appear as a failure, have actually served to advance the gospel. Thanks for listening. Lauren's story is one that's not uh, that foreign to, to many of us, although it takes the shape of having uh, been looking to be in foreign missions. Uh, there are many times in the course of ministry uh, where God puts us on a path that we may not have been expecting, we may, may not have been prepared for. I have found that within the scope of ministry, one of the greatest weapons of the evil one is discouragement. One of the greatest weapons to cause the children of God to stop in their tracks is the foul-breathed lies from the devil to sow seeds of fear in our hearts and doubt. That if he could just, just get you to question God's faithfulness, just get you to, to doubt it in your heart a little bit, he will shut down the work that he has called you to. I can think of examples in my life where uh, I have been afraid and where I have uh, seen by God's grace uh, a prevailing that happens, not by my own strength, but because of God's faithfulness. When I was, when I was a young kid, I uh, played soccer. Anybody else play soccer when they were little? Yeah, well, on uh, this one particular day, um, the, the coach's kid was the star kid, right? Because that's usually how it goes. Uh, but he was sick, so he wasn't there. And he's the guy that, uh, you know, played goalie and had all the stress on him. But he wasn't there. And then some other kids got hurt. And I was content to sit the bench or just run around. I mean, the, the one thing I heard over and over from my coach was, Flunker! Get back over here! And to be honest with you, I, I, I enjoyed falling down more than anything. I would have made a good professional soccer player because then you, I fell down. What? I'm getting off topic here. Anyways, uh, he said, Flunker, you're getting in for goalie. I did not want to play goalie. I was afraid to play goalie. Uh, that, that is the most stressful position. Everyone is coming at you. And the worst players, if you know anything about little kid soccer, the worst players end up being the defenders. That's where, because you don't, you don't put your best ones there. So not only do you have everybody coming at you, but then you got these ones picking flowers in front of you that are supposed to defend the ball. So what I discovered as I was put in this stressful situation um, was that I actually was pretty good at it. That God gave me these really long arms. And, and, and I stopped, I blocked one of the goals and I heard everybody cheer. And then I blocked another one. I heard more people cheer. And, and I, I just I, I bring that story to bear because it, it's a reminder that fear can stop you in your tracks. And it, it can stop short something that is good that God wants to do in your life. Uh, when I was in college, I sold books door to door for a summer. That's what I got roped into doing and that's a tough tough job and i can remember after my first week of knocking on doors hey you want to buy anything look be be nice to a door-to-door salesman if you ever have one come to your door they are already having a bad day so 
Just be encouraged. You don't have to buy anything. Just be encouraging. But I, I remember after my first week just feeling so discouraged. So much fear. I, I couldn't find the will within me to go to another door and be rejected. And so I, um, much like uh, Donna's illustration of the runner who fell down, I was out. I was done. And I was, I was in a different city. The, the company sent us to go to a place where I wasn't familiar. And so everything was new. And I was only in college. So it was uh, pretty stressful. And I picked up the phone and I called my dad. I, I called home. And in the same way that the dad helped the, the young man fi- finish, um, um, I, think, I think it was both my parents came. But they, at least my dad, for sure, I know, came up to St. Louis with me. And he went with me for a couple of days on my sales calls. And, uh, boy, that was so encouraging. Uh, I was still pretty bad at it. But, um, you see, he didn't have any fear. My, my, my dad didn't have any fear over it. He knew everything was going to be okay. Uh, for me, I felt like it was the end of the world. If I didn't make enough money, I might not go back to college. I just had all this stress. This is what it's like. This is what it's like to be in ministry. Because when you take the step of faith, when you follow God's calling, there is immediately a target set on your back such that the forces of evil, their number one weapon is discouragement. I'm going to discourage you. You'll you'll never measure up. You can't do it. Uh, You'll have challenges that uh, you'll face and you'll ask, why me? And and maybe this isn't right. And did I miss God's call? And that which had momentum and optimism will begin to slow. And if you're not careful, it will stop. Because this is what fear does. It causes us to be paralyzed. So I've entitled this message, Suffering and the Mission of God. And we're going to be in the book of Philippians. I want to ask you to turn there with me. Philippians chapter chapter 1. We're going to go through verses 12 through 30. I was speaking with another pastor friend of mine this week. And I want you to know that ministry is more than just being a pastor, all right? Ministry is what God has called you to and what he's gifted you for. So wherever you find yourself, and hopefully you've heard this preacher talk long enough about it, find a way to serve him. That's your ministry. That's where you are serving him. But I was having lunch with this pastor friend of mine, and he said, um, he said I about had it. And you'd know him if I, if I told you his name. Big church in town. He, he said, I've about had it. I, I'm not sure I can go on. Um, I'm needing to go see counseling because this is just more than I can handle. And he, he, he told me a story of how this bickering was happening in church. And it seemed like everything was falling blame where people are just arguing and they're I don't need to go on. You, could, you, you get the picture, right? What this was like. And what does that do for leadership within ministry? But cause you to say, why am I doing this? I can't go on. Discouragement. Seeds of fear. Seeds of doubt being sown. Two weeks ago, I got an email from another pastor friend of mine. He said, and I'm just going to quote the email here. He says, if I'm completely honest with you, I have absolutely no desire to attend church anymore. It doesn't matter what the topic is or, or what we're singing about. I simply don't want to go anymore. He says, this is something that's been building up for a while. And I think one thing that's playing a role is that I view church as a chore. This is a common common occurrence in ministry. I've been there myself. I I can remember times where I've thanked God for my wife because I've had to go to her and just say, I think I'm done. I can't can't go on anymore. 
Not so much in Segola. Not so much here. But, <laughs> but I've, had, I've had those moments. And, and I remember uh, years ago, let's say I had done that. Well, by some circumstances, I ended up in a, a garage uh, with a man that wanted to end his life. Just wanted to, to run the car out and kill himself. But I was the one that got called to go there. Now, what if I had, what if I had quit? What, what, what if I had fallen down and stopped the race? See, perseverance, like Donna was saying, it's something that we have to find, but we find it through the strength of Christ. And I want to introduce you this morning to another missionary. Uh, This missionary's job was to go and encourage the Christians in churches and do kind of like a disciple-like process, much like YOM, of training uh, the church and equipping the church. But as he was sent out, and he was sent from a church, he had all the support too. He had all his funding, and uh, he worked a job on the side so that he was able to supplement his income. Um, as he went into this town, he got arrested for preaching the gospel. And this wasn't like the kind of arrest where you have a cushy, nice jail cell. This was chains on his hands and his feet. And his name was the Apostle Paul. Uh, I want to introduce you to his story here in Philippians because the, the letter to the Philippians is a thank you note from Paul Because that church heard about his suffering, and so they sent him support. They heard that he was going through a hard time, and so rather than say, well, too bad for that guy, right? It's a tough lot he's got. The church said, hey, we got to do something. Just like Debbie was encouraging us with Lauren. Hey, you got to look at this missionary. We, We can help, and we can support. We can do something. And so the Philippian church, they put together a collection, and they sent it with Epaphroditus to go to Paul and to minister to him and to encourage him. And Paul writes this letter. That's what we're reading right now. So starting in uh, verse 12 of chapter 1, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The later do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain 
We'll continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This passage needs to speak to us today. I don't know exactly who this message is for, but I, I've heard a lot of stories from many of you as to how there are challenges in life and the things that you're going through are difficult. And perhaps God's calling on you is to minister either to an individual or a family member or a neighbor or a loved one. But you know what? It's just tough. It's just hard. And I, I'm not sure if I could do it. Discouragement and doubt and fear. Church, they are your enemy. They are the lies from the evil one. And so as we look at this passage from this missionary, I have a few observations, a few things that I, I, I want to bring out to you, some principles by which we can gauge ministry by so that we don't fall down and quit, so that we can find perseverance to continue. The first is this. You need to judge your trials in retrospect. You need to judge your trials in retrospect. You guys know what retrospect means? It means looking back. It means looking back at them. I had a uh, professor in Bible college once on this similar topic uh, give the illustration of a, a tapestry. Do you guys know what a tapestry is? It's one, sometimes in a, an art museum you have this beautiful uh, weaving with artistic expression behind it, right? And, and as you look at it, I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? How can someone do that? It must have taken so much time, right? Well, if you're really uh, curious like I am, you might go over to the tapestry and look behind it, right? You're not supposed to do that, but let's say you did, and you go and you look behind it. You know what you'd see? You'd see a mess. And anyone who's ever uh, worked in uh, this type of um, line of artistry, you, you, you might know that working on a loom, you've got chest, or, or what's it called? Needlepoint does this too, or cross stitch. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? If you look at the front, it's gorgeous, but if you look at the back, that's a mess. You got yarn going every which way. You got it. It's just a tangled web. Makes no sense at all. My professor was sharing that to talk about the way in which sometimes our lives don't seem to make sense. I don't know why this is happening. I, I don't know why this is going on. And it's not until the story is over. It's not until some time has passed that you can step back and see, oh, the, the mess behind the scenes was really working for the effect of the beauty of the finished product. My point to you is this. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, don't let that challenge be that which causes you discouragement because God is still weaving the picture. God is still pulling the yarn from place to place to make your life a beautiful tapestry for His glory. Did you, did you catch the story of our reading that Donna gave us? It was Joseph in the Old Testament. You guys know Joseph? 
Right? The youngest of all these brothers. Anyone else the youngest in the family? It's kind of a tough lot already, right? I had uh, one pastor friend of mine in Dallas who was the youngest. And every time we would uh, eat together, he'd be like, like scarfing it down. Like, and, and I realized the reason is because he was the youngest. And if he didn't eat quick, he didn't eat. So it's tough being the youngest. And Joseph being the youngest, not only having to maybe uh, strive and work, um, but he found that his brothers didn't like him at all. And part of the reason was because God would give Joseph these visions, these dreams. And part of the reason was that Joseph's dad really loved him above all the brothers. So these older brothers were jealous of the, the younger one. You know what? This ain't fair. And so uh, they go off on this journey and they decide we're going to kill this rat. We're going to get rid of this guy once for all. And then we're done with this misery of having to always condescend to his dream. The dreamer. That's what they called him. This dreamer. And one of them uh, kind of speaks up. He's like, maybe we don't kill him right away. Maybe we just throw him in this pit. And so they do that. They toss this little kid, their brother, in a pit. And what do you think's going through Joseph's mind? This is God's plan for my life, for sure. <laughs> no, I, I imagine that he's thinking this is awful right now. What I'm going through is probably filled with discouragement. And then, uh, to make matters a little worse, there's these uh, traders coming by, Midianites, and they, uh, the brothers sell Joseph. They sell their brother. If you read the text, go back to Genesis and read, they say, well, we, we can't kill him because he's our own flesh and blood, but we can sell him. And I kind of can't figure out that morality going on in these brothers' hearts. But, yeah, they sell their brother. And, and these traders then sell him to a chief official in Egypt, a guy named Potiphar. And so Joseph, again, following after God's plan in his life, obeys God and lives a righteous life. And he rises to prominence in Potiphar's household, only to find that God not only blessed him uh, to know that he can see visions, but God blessed him as kind of a good-looking young man. And so this foxy wife that Potiphar has decides that she's going to make this uh, opportunity to sleep with Joseph. And Joseph wants nothing to do with it. And uh, he flees from her, and then she cries out for the servants, and then she blames it on him, and then Potiphar comes home, and she's like, this one, this one that you hired, he tried to take advantage of me, and Potiphar's like, what? You're out of here, and he throws him into prison. And what do you think Joseph's thinking? This is God's will for my life. <laughs> and so he's in prison, and in prison he meets uh, the butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker and um, these guys also have dreams and they tell their dreams to Joseph and Joseph interprets the dreams and uh, he says uh, if, if you get out of here remember me right remember me but then the text says uh, as one of them gets killed the baker gets killed but the cupbearer he gets uh, to be put back into prominence with Pharaoh and the text says he forgot about Joseph he forgot and again Joseph must just be like I don't get why this is happening uh, what's, what's Joseph's tapestry look like at this point? Looks like a mess, doesn't it? Looks like a mess. But then sure enough, God gives Pharaoh a dream. And then sure enough, the cupbearer is like, oh, dude, I remember. There's this guy that I met in the slammer, and he can interpret dreams. And so they call him, and Joseph comes, and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh takes him and places him in the highest position of the nation. Not only in this position of prominence, but in interpreting Pharaoh's dream to provide for this huge famine that's coming over the land. And sure enough, it comes and Egypt has fully prepared. And word spreads back to his mean brothers that there's wheat in Egypt. 
And so the brothers make their way. You guys know the story, right? The brothers make their way down there. And the whole saga plays out where Joseph immediately recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Joseph's not sure how to, how to, how to break the news to them. He finds out about his brother, and he finds out about his father, and he, he cries because he's just so overwhelmed by the whole situation that eventually the brothers go back, and they come back with the youngest brother. And through the circumstances of it, Joseph meets with his brothers, and that was the text that we read where, where Donna read to us, that the brothers say, you, you know what, he might get angry with us again. But did you remember what he said? I think I've got it here. Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about at this present result to preserve many people's lives. Whatever it is that you're going through, you need to recognize it, not in the moment. Don't judge it in the moment, but remember, God is weaving your tapestry for his glory. He's making it into something that will... Be beautiful. Judge your trials in retrospect. I'm in Philippians again, all right? Did you see what Paul said in verse 12 and 13? He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and they're reading this in Philippi, and they're like, oh, that's terrible what happened to Paul. They locked him up. It's just not fair what they're doing. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Keep reading. What does Paul say? What happened to me has really served to advance the gospel? They weren't expecting that. The, the terrible things, the circumstances of Paul's life, he's saying, guess what? This is good. This, God meant this for good. Check it out. Look at the next verse. As a result, it's been clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Look, none of these guys in the palace wanted anything to do with God. Right? They, these guys in authority, these guys in rulership, they had their own affairs to worry about. But guess who they had to watch over? Guess who they had to lock up? The Apostle Paul. And so guess who they learned about? Jesus Christ. Paul wants the church to know that you can't judge your trial through how it looks. You've got to be willing to step back and see that God is still working. He's going to weave it into something that's beautiful. Second is this. You need to see your suffering for God's glory. See your suffering for God's glory. In verse 14, uh, you'll see he says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. That is awesome. Look, the Christians see that Paul's locked up, but Paul ain't shutting up. That's awesome, right? Paul's locked up, but they can't shut him up. And so the rest of the Christians say, Well, what do we got to lose then? The rest of them, encouraged by what Paul is going through, the trial he's facing, they become more courageous. And God is glorified. The suffering results in glory. I want you to see also in verse 29. This is at the end of the chapter. So uh, turn there and look in verse 29. As he's been speaking to them about being united, he says, For it has been granted to you. By the way, this isn't preached very often. You've got to underline this in the Bible. Ready? It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to what? But also to suffer for him. I'd encourage you to continue to read the rest of the story of Philippians because Paul's going to say that I've lost all things. I used to have a lot, but I've lost it all. But you know what? That's all right because I consider everything trash, he says, compared to knowing Christ and suffering for him. Your suffering is not for you. It's to glorify God. 
Uh, there's another passage I want you to see in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Uh, one of the things that you find as you go through the book of Corinthians that Paul is continually showing himself to be weak, that his sufferings, and he'll list them out. He'll say, I've been shipwrecked, I've been, uh, I've been beat up, I've been stoned, I've been in prison, I've been hungry, I've been naked. He'll, he'll say, I've been persecuted, I'm in danger of my own people, I've been in danger of the Gentiles. He'll list all of the sufferings, and he'll say the reason for all of this is so that it will show my weakness so that people will find God to be my source of strength. Look, here's the long and short of it. If you are serving God in your own strength, yeah, man, look at me. Right? It's all, it's, all, it's all what people look at and they see you. Who gets the glory for that? Your strength. That's where the glory lies. But when you are in weakness, when you are in suffering, now where does the worship lie? Where does the praise go? It goes to God. That's the second thing I want you to see is that you need to see your suffering for God's glory. All right, back in Philippians. Third, preach Christ no matter what. Do you see this? He said, verse 15, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Later do so in love, knowing that I'm putting your defense of the gospel. Jump down to the end, verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, false or true, Christ is preached. Uh, I, I, I'm just being sensitive to time here because I don't want to. Uh, I, I need to press this point because this is another really important one. Here's the here's the point of it. You will you'll get to a point of discouragement and you're gonna you're gonna want to shut up. Fear is gonna hit you and you're gonna say, I don't know why I'm doing this. I want to quit. I've had enough. I can't do it. Preach Christ anyways. Preach Christ anyways. That's the moment. In there, in despair, in fear. And when I say preach, I mean with words and with your life. Both ways. When it's hardest, that's when you need to preach. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about preaching. Good morning today. Here's my sermon. I'm not talking about that preaching. I'm talking about preaching with your life and how you live. First Peter says this. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared. Give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. You need to preach Christ no matter what. That's the moment most of all when you're facing discouragement. That's when you need to live for Christ. All right. Fourth is this. There must be cooperation in the body. There must be cooperation in the body. Let me see if I can get the choir's help on this. Pull out your green books. Green, green hymnals. <clears throat> if you look back in uh, Philippians chapter uh, 15, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 19. All right, you got your green hymnals up? Uh, uh, back row, turn to number 288. And front two rows, turn to number 1. 288. Number one. All right. Uh, Philippians 1, verse 19. See what he says? For I know that through your prayers and by the help given by the Spirit, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. What was Paul counting on? 
the church. That's right. He was, he was counting on the rest of the church to, to be there and to support and to work together. All right, look at another verse. Go to the 27. Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a matter worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or hear only about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in, what's it say? One spirit, contending as what? One man for the faith of the gospel. There must be cooperation in the body of Christ. And if there's not, here's what this looks like. Everybody in 288? You guys on one? All right, I want you to sing. Ready? One, two, three. All right. Thank you. If we are not on the same page, how does that sound? Right? When Paul writes this letter to the church, he's starting out by telling them, look, you need to understand that I am not being stifled by fear. Fear is not going to control me. What's happened to me is actually God's will. It's going good. And you know what? I'm counting on you. And whether I come and see you because they release me because of your prayers, or I only hear about it, I want to make sure that the church is of one mind, one spirit, working together. Because if you're on the same page, you're not going to get anything done right. It's not going to work at all. And I know I've been kind of preaching on this a little bit, but it's because it's a theme throughout the New Testament. Look, when you find an offense with your brother or your sister, go and fix it right away or get over it. Which one or the other, all right? Because every one of us is going to offend each other. Every one of you is sinners. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say you're a sinner. <laughs> yeah. I saw some husbands and wives really quick. <laughs> yeah. Look, by virtue of this being true, you are going to offend each other. You either got to get over it and be like, ah, let it go. I'm, I, I made my mistake. Get over it. Or you need to go to the individual and say, really, I don't know if you meant it this way, but I, I, this is what I heard. And I know you wouldn't have tried to hurt me. Um, but we, we got to be together because we are brothers. Like it or not, we are brothers. Like it or not, we are sisters. Or we're a family. You all get the point? There must be cooperation in the body. Paul is trying to emphasize that. And then lastly here, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear, church. Look at verse 14. Because of my chains. <gasps> He's in chains. Well, oh, we, got, we better keep this whole gospel thing on the down low then. Otherwise, they might come arrest us. That's not what it says. Look what it says. Verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word more courageously and what? Say it like you mean it. Fearlessly. Oh, that's awesome. There's no fear. Look, you could take my life. In fact, that's what he says a little bit later. Go to verse 21. This is all, you need to underline this as well. For to me to live is Christ, but to die? What could the, what could the world do to you? To kill you is an upgrade. There, there's, I got, there's no downside on this. I have nothing to fear. The last one I want you to see is in verse 28. And maybe starting just in the end of verse 27, uh, he says, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being what? Frightened. Without being frightened, church. Without being frightened. You have nothing to fear. The devil's number one weapon against you is to sow seeds of doubt, discouragement, and fear. 
You have nothing to fear, church. Paul helps remind us of this today by letting the church know that what has happened to him has actually served to advance the gospel. In that video, I don't know uh, which one of those people God is speaking to you on. Maybe you're one on the first half or or maybe you're one on that back half. Uh, That one who's coming to the rescue. That one who knows someone who's hurting. That one who knows someone who's having a hard time that you could send them a, a fruit basket or a text message or you can go there and pray with them. That's the challenge I want you to know for the grace excursion going forward. Let's move now from looking as to how we need to be knit together as one. And let's start looking for those around us that we can bless that need encouragement. Whatever you're going through, God will use it for his glory. And so I want to leave you with this single question. Where do you need courage today? Where do you need courage? What's the door that God is asking you to walk through? What's the person that God is wanting you to minister to, to love? Where is that place where the devil wants to stop you short such that you would fall down in the race and not be able to get up any longer? Your heavenly father, he comes and he lifts you and he walks with you to help you finish the race. The the answer to this is prayer. And so I just want to challenge you this week to take a moment to ask God to give you the courage that you need to go through the next door he has for you. I want you to be empowered as well. There's nobody else God is putting into the game. He's called you off the bench. You're in the game. You're on the field. Let's pray that he gives us strength.